The Spectator magazine combines incisive political analysis with books and arts reviews of unrivaled authority. Subscribe today for just £12 and receive a 12-week subscription in print and online, plus a £20 Amazon gift voucher, absolutely free. Go to spectator.co.uk forward slash voucher. Hello and welcome to the Americano podcast, a series of discussions about American politics and life. My name is Freddie Gray. I'm the deputy editor of The Spectator. I am thrilled today to be joined by John Daniel Davidson, who is a senior editor at The Federalist and the hardy perennial of The Spectator Americano podcast, Jacob Halbrun, who is editor of The National Interest. We're going to be talking about the January 6th committee. The hearings are happening this week, and I think it's fair to say it's had wall-to-wall coverage on most major channels in America. Jacob, let's, let's start with the obvious question. What is the precise purpose of this committee, and is it going about achieving it in the right way? Well, the committee itself has apparently been divided on its ambitions. One was to make the case that Trump was the active conspirator, a spider at the center of the web designed to perpetuate his presidency illegally and create an insurrection. And then second half, which is more the Democrats, I think, is how do you strengthen the American electoral system and so forth. They went for number one last night. I was surprised by the extent to which they pounded home the theme in the beginning, middle, and end that Trump and Trump alone was fueling this process and that he had created a circle of enablers and that he, together with these militia groups, had created this active conspiracy. And now they've promised a lot of information coming down the road. Actually, the most interesting thing I thought came after the committee hearing itself, which was when Benny Thompson was interviewed by Jake Tapper and declared or alleged, depending on your viewpoint, that the committee possesses direct information linking Trump's inner circle to the Proud Boys who did not stay at the speech, but went directly to the Capitol. So what is is the precise evidence linking Trump's inner circle to the Proud Boys? We don't know yet. We don't know yet. We're expecting they it to come. that they have it, but they have not yet released it. John, I'll turn to you as somebody who who follows American politics as closely as I can. I get this terrible sense of deja vu when I watch the hearings this week because it seemed to me like yet another Trump trial, and we've just had quite a few of them in the last four years, and they always take on the same sort of sense of urgency, the same very very grave language and so on. Adam Schiff always seems to be involved. And it felt like what a lot of people are calling it political theatre rather than a serious committee. Do you do you feel that way? Absolutely. We're still waiting for Adam Schiff to produce the evidence of Trump's collusion with the Kremlin in the 2016 election. This is the same playbook they keep going back to. They keep going back to this well. They need Trump to be this criminal villain that they can sort of hold up as a threat to 
what amounts to one party rule in Washington. You asked earlier, what is the true purpose of the January 6th committee hearings and of televising them like this? I would submit to you the true purpose is to distract the American people from the problems that are foremost on their mind and that the Democrats are going to get destroyed over in November. That's the purpose of the hearing. That's always been sort of the purpose of, you know, positing Trump as a kind of uber villain in American politics. There's nothing here. There's no more here than there was in the Russia collusion hoax and the Robert Mueller investigation that ended with a fizzle, that ended in a failed impeachment effort. I don't think that we're going to discover anything. And now that's not to say that there isn't something that we might potentially have discovered in a hearing about January 6th. But the kinds of things that I think would be maybe interesting to the American people that are certainly interesting to me are the very questions that Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats on the committee would not allow to be investigated. Questions about the failure of law enforcement, questions about what decisions Pelosi made about the security of Congress that day, why they were made, why there was such a delay, questions about the FBI, how many FBI agents were in the crowd and were there any undercover agents involved. And that's not to be conspiratorial, that's just Clearly, there was FBI presence in the crowd on January 6th. Clearly, there were some failures made on the part of congressional leadership and the Capitol Police. Those are the kinds of things you would think that the January 6th committee would investigate, but that's not the purpose of this committee. The purpose, as I said, the primary political purpose is to distract the American people from things that uh, foremost on their minds. Jacob, I'll come back to you. What do you say to that, that it's it's become a political farce, really, rather than a, a serious committee looking into what happened? Well, actually, I was surprised. I mean, again, I came into it with an open mind last night. I didn't. The conventional wisdom going into the committee hearing was that it would be a dud. And I think, actually, the quality of the committee staff is good enough. It was pretty well crafted. Now, whether it's going to persuade a Trump supporter? I doubt it. I don't think that's what it's really intended to do. It's really targeting Trump. And I agree with John, I don't think it will have an impact on the midterm elections. I think, you know, the number one issue is gas prices. And there's nothing that the Democrats can do to distract from that. However, the interesting thing about this hearing is, does it persuade the two or three percent of the waverers for 2024. That, I think, is the bigger game. I don't really see much impact on the midterm elections. And right now, I would say it's too early to tell as far as how much damage does it do to Trump. One interesting indicator is that, as is his want, he is lashing out. And, you know, I don't know if you should say he's going nuclear, but certainly the tone of the the releases that he's doing on Truth Social, going after Bill Barr, for example, calling him, I guess, everything, calling him an idiot this morning. Barr, who really went to bat for, for Trump. I mean, so some of the arrows have landed, whether it's a flesh wound or something more serious. I don't know. John, let's talk about that, because, I mean, if, if we take the sort of rights and wrongs out of it and we look at it purely from a political perspective, perhaps it's quite smart from the Democrats because it does put a wedge in the Republican Party about what they do about Trump and how they move on from the stolen election row, which I think it seems that voters aren't particularly 
interested in, in relitigating that, looking ahead. Is it a clever thing for the Democrats to do, not just for the midterms, but for further on and to sort of banish yeah. Trump from, from the political stage? Yeah, no, it's an interesting question. Uh, I think there is a, this narrative that the Democrats and certainly the corporate press would very much like to you know, push and establish as sort of the controlling narrative, which is that the Republican Party is really split and is, is really kind of like wrestling over Trump and over January 6th, and that it's sort of an open question kind of what the future of the GOP is. But I think that doesn't really reflect reality. You know, only 13 Republican members of the House voted to impeach Trump after January 6th. Many of the, those people have decided to retire from Congress rather than lose their reelection bids. Why is that? The reason is the vast majority of the Republican electorate, rank and file, ordinary Americans who vote GOP, don't have a problem with Trump's role in January 6th. I think most of them understand that January 6th was a, a protest that got out of hand and turned into a riot and a small number of people that were at the Capitol grounds. Remember, there was tens of thousands of people there that day forced their way into, you know, past very minimal police barricades and got into the Capitol. But the idea that Trump is sort of wrapped up in a conspiracy to have made that happen is not something that very many actual Republicans buy into. And so that I don't think that there really is the kind of division in the GOP electorate that Democrats in the press would like there to be. And I think one of the purposes of this Soviet-style show trial is to make that division appear greater than it is, and maybe in some ways to, to deepen it if they can, just through narrative pushing. Jacob does bring up a good point about this not really being about the midterms, that maybe they've sort of cut their losses for the midterms and accepted the fact that they're going to get beaten very badly, and they're looking ahead to 2024. And maybe that's a smart thing to do, but I think in every case, going back to 2015, the Democrats and sort of the left-wing you know, corporate press has misunderstood Trump in every way, that Trump is not a cause of the political upheaval that we see in the GOP and in American politics generally. He's not the cause of the populist surge in American political life. He's a manifestation of it. And the idea that you can just deal with Trump however you can, a Russia collusion narrative, impeachment, January 6th hearings, do whatever you can to get rid of him, then we can all go back to normal, is a deep fallacy. Even if they dispense with Trump somehow, the forces of which he was a part are now a permanent feature of American political life, and they are not going to go away in 2024, Trump or no Trump. It's a bit of a right-wing cliche, isn't it, to say that the Democrats have Trump derangement syndrome, and people have been saying it for a long time. But it's hard to sort of describe it any other way when you look at people like Adam Schiff. I mean, is he a credible investigator into what happened on January 6th? Jacob Cohen. If you look at the committee last night, it was pretty interesting that it was really sort of Liz Cheney's breakout moment, right? I mean, they put her front and center. I don't see people talking that much about divisions among the Republicans. I think what John said is pretty widely accepted. And it's noted that Cheney is an outlier. I think the aim of this is to hang the albatross of January 6th around Trump's neck and to finish him off as a viable political force. 
And in that sense, you could argue, look, if we're talking strictly tactics and not talking about the morality or anything that happened on January 6th, the Democrats could be doing the Republican Party a huge favor. At least it liberates Ron DeSantis and the rest of the field to do exactly what John's talking about. Take the Trump program, but present it with a more palatable politician. Let's face it, Trump was wounded by the things that he did during his presidency. He did lose the election pretty significantly to Joe Biden. So I don't actually think that he's a great candidate for the GOP in 2024. So from that perspective, maybe the Republicans should silently welcome the January 6th committee and hope that it does further damage Trump. It's not that it can finish him off, but it's death by a thousand cuts. Well, and it might help them in different ways too, might it not, John, that as well as possibly resolving the Trump issue if it needs to be resolved, the Democrats are are taking an issue where they should be in a strong position and turning it into something where a lot of independents, the people they want to win over, feel they're just being mad about this again. They've, they've gone into Trump derangement syndrome again. Yeah, I, I think the political question is tied to, you know, when, when we talk about Republicans, like maybe Republicans should welcome the January 6th hearings and maybe it will help to sort of be done with Trump and we can kind of move on to sort of the next MAGA candidate, which, by the way, I've always thought like the Democrats really do not understand the political moment here. Like if they were upset about Trump, what comes after Trump is going to be a lot worse because whoever that is, is going to be much more effective. Trump, to Jacob's point, he was not very effective in office. He was constantly distracted, his own worst enemy, on and on and on. All, you know, there's, there's plenty of things to criticize about about Trump. But but I think the the notion, you know, like there's a lot of normal Republican voters, just people out who, who are not political people, who are not pundits, who are not part of the media class, who are not on Twitter, who look at this. And to the extent that they pay attention to it at all, it's the latest in a, in a continuum of deception, of manipulation, of what a lot of people consider criminal behavior on the part of Democratic leaders when it comes to targeting their political enemies and trying to use their their powers their official powers to punish people you had somehow i don't know something like 17 months after january 6th only this week did the authorities decide to arrest the leading gop gubernatorial candidate in pennsylvania because he was on the capitol steps you know what are the chances right that the day before the January 6th hearings are televised, they arrest a GOP candidate for his involvement in January 6th, 17 months later. Normal people look at that and they see patent corruption in our political class. And that's what Trump ran on, largely. That's what Bernie Sanders ran on, largely. That's what the populist movement is being driven by in America, largely. The idea that Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer are really savvy political strategists and are really you know playing three-dimensional chess with this January 6th committee. I don't buy that any more than I bought that they were playing three-dimensional chess with the Robert Mueller investigation and the Russia collusion hoax. They're desperate. They're completely out of touch. They're disconnected from the American electorate. And doing things like airing a committee hearing in which there is no opposition, uh, and which immediately gets overwhelmed by the next day's news cycle, which is about inflation, right? This, the news this morning that we are at a 40-year high 
is evidence, I think, of their disconnectedness from the political moment in America. And so, I, you know, whatever their ultimate aims are, I think they're going to be unsuccessful, even if their aims, you know, are to sort of put a stake in Trump's chances for 2024. If that's what they're hoping to do, I very much doubt that this will move the needle on that in any direction. Jacob, I'll let you respond to that. Well, it's certainly possible that, you know, the committee will have no effect. Again, I think it's about getting eking out, you know, it's about setting the narrative and getting a couple points, you know, persuading a few percentage that are persuadable. Both sides are dug in. What's interesting about John's remarks is that, and you know, if you strip it of the context, his criticisms of Pelosi and Schumer, his analysis are exactly what the left wing base of the Democratic Party is saying, that they are suffering under a gerontocracy that's completely out of touch with the media age, and the base is howling that Merrick Garland is too passive. Then they, they wanted Trump indicted within weeks of his leaving the presidency. So, you know, I'm still keeping an open mind on this committee. I don't, I'll be interested to see the polls and after a few, few weeks, what happens. Sure, it could be a huge bust, but so far, I think that it did manage to dominate the media cycle, it's still pretty present today. And Trump is helping to keep it alive himself. The more he talks about it, the more this will be an issue. So so what you're saying there, Jacob, is, is sort of thank goodness for the restraining influence of Nancy Pelosi. Is that is that what you're saying? No, I'm just, you know, I don't even know how much Pelosi is involved with this committee right now as it moves ahead. What I'm saying is that I'm uncertain. I'm not willing to dismiss the effect of this committee. The conventional wisdom was that it would, both among Democrats and Republicans, was that the committee would go nowhere. Now, the presentation last night, even like, you know, people on the right, like my friend James Rosen at Newsmax, you know, they were saying that the video footage was pretty impactful. Now, you can say we've seen it all before. Actually, we haven't seen all of it. So in a media-driven society, I'm just not prepared to say that this committee is just a waste of time. John, I mean, the point has been made before. I think you've made it quite a long time ago now. Last time we had you on the podcast, I think you've just written a piece about this, that, that January 6th was actually a moment of opportunity. It was a chance for Americans to agree that that was a terrible thing that happened that day. It was an international embarrassment for America. It showed that the integrity of democracy in America was in grave peril. And therefore, the committee was a great chance to perhaps sort of address the reasons for that. And it's quite obvious that if you look at Republicans and Democrats, the opposite is happening. And partisan bitterness is only getting worse. And the perception of reality two different realities are getting further and further apart. Is that a fair point? Yeah, I think it is. You know, it occurs to me, there is a, a question that I would have for John, which is, if you look at what Trump is doing, Freddie, in answer to your question, he's not saying, well, it's unfortunate that it happened. He is now issuing statements saying that this was the greatest day in American history. So he's going all in, as it were. So what do you think of that tactic, John? I mean, do you think that that is a tactical mistake? He'd be better off to say, well, it was trivial. He's not saying it was trivial. He was saying that more people came 
into what any rally and that it was a great thing. I, I think it's a mistake in the sense that I thought his comments, you know, going back during his presidency after the, the Charlottesville riots, you know, where he made his, you know, decent people on both sides comments. Now, what he said, he was not saying in Charlottesville that the, the sort of the neo-Nazis were the decent people. He made these muddled remarks that were easily kind of turned on him by Democrats. And I think that he's doing something similar here. Probably what he means is that the, the people who came to the White House ellipse, who heard him speak, and then the, the masses of people and all the events that were planned around the U.S. Capitol that day, which most of which had to do with election integrity, because a lot of people felt like the 2020 election was not fair for what I think are legitimate reasons. Even if you disagree with them, they're, they're not crazy reasons, right? And so Trump tends to make these comments that conflate two different things, and I agree that it's a tactical mistake. If he can't be clear, and he, he rarely can when it comes to these issues, it would be better if he said nothing. And he's sort of constitutionally incapable of saying nothing. But I will say, going back to what was said a minute ago about the effect of, of January 6th, Democrats are doing this again. They're setting it up that they have the goods on Trump, right? Just like they did with the Russia collusion narrative, right? That they've got the goods, they have the evidence. If they don't, and I don't think they do, I don't think there's anything there, there, the effect of the January 6th, you know, this sort of show trial will not be to sort of like damage Trump. It could backfire very badly on the Democrats and it could revive Trump's political prospects because, because he will have the opportunity to present himself as a martyr and a victim of a corrupt political establishment in Washington that will do anything and say anything and fabricate evidence and will do so for years and years in order to exclude him from political power by any means necessary. I think that is a possible political outcome of the January 6th hearings, especially because they seem to be placing so much emphasis on this idea that Trump, as you say, is really at the heart of it. And if they can't prove that, if they can't make a compelling case for it, then this whole thing might well backfire on them very badly. Jacob, do you think perhaps that the issue here really is that America does want to have some kind of debate about the 2020 election. That There are a lot of concerns among Republicans. And as John says, they're not all crazy that the election was at best very unusual. And that election integrity, election reform is very much needed in America. And that the Democrats want to castigate that line as conspiracy theory, stolen election talk, and unacceptable. I don't know. You know, my impression is from the Republican primaries, particularly in Georgia, where that people are even among Republicans, you know, maybe not all Republicans, but people are more interested in gas, inflation. I don't think they really care about the 2020 election. If you look at the quotes from the voters in Georgia and elsewhere, I think most people have actually moved on. So Personally, I, I think the Republican Party would be far better off, as McConnell is doing, in really paying not that much attention to the January 6th committee in terms of political tactics. And they all, most of them, want to move on from, from this election fraud. How's Trump going to win in 2024? He had a message in 2016, which was make America great again. But if he's just ranting about the 2020 election, he's not going to win. He's got to focus on or any Republican candidate has to focus on how they're going to turn around America against, if Biden is running against someone, they'll 
portray as somewhat a doddering president. John, do you want to reply to that? Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think people have moved on largely from the 2020 election, and they are concerned about sort of the everyday issues that they confront at the grocery store and at the gas station. And that's always true in times of economic stress. That's where people's primary concerns lie because they don't interact. They don't think about the 2020 election every day, but they do think about the price of gas and groceries every day. But plenty of people who maybe who don't want to relitigate the 2020 election are nevertheless very disturbed at the prospect of our future elections playing out the way the 2020 election did with absentee ballots being sent to every voter on the rolls with drop boxes with uncontrolled you know rules around counting absentee ballots with judges just sort of issuing rules to override state election law these are things that concern a lot of people and that are going to concern a lot of people in the 20 22 midterms in November and in 2024. So I think that it's not it's not necessarily true that no one cares about those things anymore or that no one's going to be thinking about those things. It's just that yes, a successful Republican in 2024 is not going to be able to win by relitigating 2020. They're going to have to be looking forward. They're going to have to address the things that are foremost on people's minds. But I have to say there's a large body of Republicans that continue to be deeply disturbed by what happened in 2020. And what they don't want is a political party or political leadership on the Republican side that pretends that all of that was fine. Jacob? You know, the interesting question will be, if, as we all think, the Republicans win in November, are we going to see a frenzy of investigations from the House Republicans targeting the Biden administration, looking at the election, looking at the Afghan pullout and so forth, rather than focusing on crime and inflation. I think it goes even broader than, than what we were talking about. We're not putting this broadly enough. There is a sense in America that the entire country is completely lurching out of control under Joe Biden. That has to be the Republican message, that under Biden, America is losing its pride of place at home and abroad, that it's even worse than the Jimmy Carter era. But I think if I understood what John was saying, I think the point is that while election integrity might not be a key concern, an everyday key concern, voters hate talking about it so much that sensible measures to make elections less questionable are appealing to them. Yes, you know, I personally, since I'm not that concerned, I mean, as far as I can tell, I don't see any problem with the election security myself. It looks like it was pretty airtight. The Republicans in Georgia have passed more measures. You know, Pennsylvania, you have Mastriano running. That will be an interesting election because that'll tell you, again, how whipped up people are about 2020 as well, because that's, that's, you know, he's a big advocate that the election was stolen. So no, you know, election security as a political issue for a certain element of the population, sure, they'll be whipped up about it. But does it actually affect the independent voters, swing voters? I doubt it. Okay. And then finally, Jacob, when the Trump-Russia inquiry was going on, we did many podcasts, and there was always talk of a smoking gun. But at the beginning, you suggested you think the Democrats might not just be imagining that they have serious evidence that Trump was this spider in the middle of the insurrection web. Well, they're saying that they do. I haven't seen the evidence, but Benny Thompson was unequivocal last night. So it gets back to what John was saying. He's got to produce or shut up. He seemed fairly confident. Now, what those ties are, who they were, 
you know, was Trump himself in contact on these issues with that inner circle? Let's find out. I don't think that last night was helpful for Donald Trump. I think his life has become more difficult. John, do you agree? I don't think last night mattered at all to Donald Trump or to anyone in America. I don't think that people are paying attention to it. I think people smell a rat. I don't think that the Democrats who are in charge of the January 6th committee are credible. They're not credible with Republican voters and they're not credible even with their own more radical left-wing base, you know, which has sort of given up on democracy in general. I think that there is no sort of smoking gun. I guess we'll see, you know, I, I could be wrong, but if I were a betting person, I would bet that the Democrats are up to the same kinds of tactics and tricks that they have been up to since Trump won the presidency in 2016. I think that the whole January 6th committee is a Soviet style show trial that will damage the Democrats more than it will damage Trump. And again, maybe I'll turn out to be wrong and, and they've got the goods this time. Finally, Adam Schiff comes through, but I doubt it very much. <laughs> John and Jacob, thank you very much for coming on to Americano. Thank you very much for listening to that episode of Americano. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe. And if you really enjoyed it, please leave us a star rating, preferably five stars, and a review.